Good afternoon and good evening to everyone. My name is Dave Frankowski and I'll be your moderator for today's class. And welcome to another lecture given by the Oceanside California class. This is a school and not a church. Neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. This school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious and scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh our Elohim and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given unto our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley, in the state of Ohio in the year of 1931. We were incorporated in the state of California in the year of 1958, and we hold classes in the United States and in various other countries. The Oceanside class was established in 1994. At this time, I'd like to introduce to you the Dean of the Oceanside class, Dr. Dennis Volpe, and the president, Dr. Carl Emler. Now in this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title for the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The correct name for our Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The correct title for the Word or Son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. And the correct name of the Holy Spirit manifested in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Lord and God are titles. They are not names. The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and there are God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name, and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title. But unlike the titles of Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. It's a divine title because it's the title that our Creator has chosen for Himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. And a minor investigation on your part into a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew, the Greek, nor the Latin languages have any letters or characters in their alphabet that would produce the sound that's made by the letter J. Neither was there a letter J in our own English language until some 1400 years after the death of the Messiah, which would make such names as Jesus and Jehovah impossible renderings for the true name of our Father and His Son. Christ is a title just like Lord and God. Yahweh is pure spirit, and in this state He is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, the limits and the bounds of everything that exists. We have Yahweh in His pure spirit state, symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. And we've drawn this cloud to extend all around the edges of this chart to show 
that everything on the chart is within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh, knowing that man could not perceive of him in his pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Yahweh Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being that is having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. This form can only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelation. Later on, this self-same spirit manifested himself in a physical body, and he walked the earth plane as Yahshua the Messiah, who the whole world calls Jesus Christ. Now there's only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So the simple yet intelligent question that we should ask ourselves is, what did they call the Savior when he walked the earth plane? And a further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface to the Holy Name Bible. Also in this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It's the divine pattern because it's Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he called Moses on top of Mount Sinai. And he showed him this threefold tabernacle pattern in a vision. Later on, Yahweh instructed Moses to build one in the wilderness of Sinai, exactly like the one he had seen in his vision on the mount. The tabernacle pattern is a threefold pattern consisting of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and it operates according to the structure and the function of this threefold tabernacle pattern, and that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. This school has 10 primary constitutional objectives and aims, and they are as follows. One, to help you find and know Yahweh our Elohim as he really is and actually exists. Two, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah without distinction of race, nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Three, to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Four, to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, modern, practical, and occult science. Five, to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Six, to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seven, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons, operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eight, to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith, which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Nine, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained. There is no other name 
given among men, whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua, the Messiah. And 10, to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua, the Messiah, with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace, and our slogan is speak the truth. We'll begin this afternoon with a prayer by Dr. Sean Hudgenwardle from our Ontario class. And then we'll have a scripture read, which will be Matthew, the seventh chapter, and that'll be read by Dr. Jerry Geller from our Oceanside class. Good evening, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. All right. Let us all bow our hearts and minds for a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father Yahweh, we pray that the speakers from the floor today speak through the spirit of truth, revealing your divine purpose, pattern, and plan for our understanding so that we can appreciate you for who you really are and how you actually exist. We pray that you keep us during these rough times that we have in our lives, through the trials, through the tribulations, that you make the intercession for us for all of our infirmities that we have. Because we know that we don't know how to pray as we ought to, as it's written in the scriptures. All these things and more in the name of the only begotten Son, Yahshua the Messiah. Let us all say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good afternoon, class. Today I'll be reading from the Holy Name Bible. I'm just making sure I'm not on mute. I'll be reading from the Holy Name Bible containing the Holy Name version of the Old and New Testaments, critically compared with ancient authorities and various manuscripts, revised by A.B. Trena of the Scripture Research Association in College Park, Maryland, Matthew, the seventh chapter. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If then being evil, if ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father, which is in heaven, 
give good things to them that ask him. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because small is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come, into, come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Rabbi, Rabbi, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many shall say unto me in that day, Rabbi, Rabbi, did we not eat and drink in thy name, and in thy name have cast out demons, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Joshua had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Matthew, the seventh chapter. Thank you, Dr. Geller and Dr. Hudgenwordle. And our re scripture readers this afternoon will be Dr. Linda Volpe from our Oceanside class and Dr. Sharon Welch from our Syracuse class. We'll have a three-speaker format this afternoon, each speaker getting approximately 35 minutes. And our first speaker this afternoon will be Dr. Vercel Mack from our Oakland class. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, <laughs> just wanna start off by saying I really enjoyed the prayer. There's certain things, just like I knew I was gonna be called today, you just, you just know it. And I've been praying about different things and it was spoken in the prayer about our infirmities. And I just want, being obedient, 
doing everything that you should do. Um, as far as just being in this class, let me just, you guys, you listen, we don't preach emotions, but I am an emotional creature. So just give me a second because again, it's just so real and he's just so real. I just want to start off by saying, thank you, Father, for having mercy on me, on us all. Thank you for delivering us from death into life. I can't really put into words how I'm feeling right now, but it's so personal. See, we as a body, we know that it is spiritual Israel now. You know, the promise is still given to Abraham. We weren't around that mount at, at, at Mount Sinai, but the promise is now because we're in a different age now. Um, just, and I'm going to be brief, um, but, you know, even understanding what day of the week it is with Yahweh. And the fact that just having any kind of understanding, any kind of understanding of what's going on, according to his purpose, is talking about, the prayer was talking about these, uh, what we're going through here. It is a lot. It is a lot. And I know that we always say, and we do believe because it is true, that we don't have to worry, you know, um, but I would be a lie a liar if I did not say that I'm not affected sometimes. I know that he is with me, you know, because I see him, I see the effectual working within my vessel. And I'm just, sometimes I just don't feel like I'm worthy, you know, because no matter what it is that you try to do, I try to do a lot of different things because I do appreciate being here. It doesn't always work that way. Whatever it is that you're going to need, every little thing, he actually has to do it for you. I'm grateful that I do see um, um, more attention because I, I feel I'm distracted and I, um, but he's merciful. See, I don't take this for granted. I don't, I don't. And Satan has all kinds of different ways to make you doubt. Now, and that's why not the scriptures, we know that's a law and the prophets, but just these passages, period. Um, can I have Romans 8 and 1, please? Mm -hmm. Romans 8 and 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them who are in Yahshua the Messiah, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For Amen. the law. Of, okay. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. For the law of the spirit of life in Yahshua the Messiah hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That part, that part, because I am trying more to 
And I'm going to continue to because he's worthy, because he's worthy. But he actually has to set everything for you. Try as you might, he has to do it. And I'm not saying it as far as, you know, using it as an excuse not to do what you need to do. I can't do this on my own. And he actually just shows me, continues to show me that he is here. See, we know about his omnipresence, you know, um, he sees everything, you know, and, you know, they have the Santa Claus um, 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 song. He knows when you're asleep and he knows when you're awake and all that kind of stuff. Look, that's Yahshua the Messiah. That's Yahweh. He knows everything. But this is a personal thing. It's an intimate thing. We don't all grow at the same rate, but we all have the same foundation. So it is just, and that is important. Knowing how, you know, um, not just that he took us from death to life, but just knowing how he did it. And mm -hmm. understanding, you guys, coming from Egypt, coming from darkness. See, when the scripture is talking about, um, let's go back to uh, the first, um, let's go back to the scripture reason. And you guys bear with me. Um, but yeah, let's go back to Matthew 7 and 1. Matthew 7 and 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Thank you. Now, you know that saying, when you point a finger at someone, you got three pointing back at yourself. Mm -hmm. The fact that we understand now that all died in Adam, there's no reason for anybody to judge anyone because we were all dead. And just being brought from that state, I am grieving for my family you know, like this is one thing that um, you don't choose Yahweh, he chooses you. And I'm gonna, I don't push anything or cram anything down anybody's throat. But as long as I have breath and they listen, I'm going to tell them the truth because they don't have a clue to what's going on. You know, they, they don't know. They don't know what's coming. And try as I might with my children, like you can't just force that. This is actually a thing with, with Yahweh. If you if Yahweh does not, because this comes from our founder did not claim that he had a divine revelation. You know, he declared that he had a divine vision and a divine revelation. You can claim anything. I work with claims at work does not mean that they're going to get paid. You can, anybody can claim anything. Mm. This was a declaration. And he came in and this was, let me just slow down. Our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley declared that he had a divine vision and a divine revelation in the year of 1931. He told us, to come in here and relax, and let me teach you about it. And, and not to believe anything just because it was said, 
but prove it. Prove mm -hmm. it. So I know that I'm in the right place. Yahshua has shown me how there were special, like Yahshua the Messiah came in a specially prepared body in the likeness of sinful flesh. You know, in ways he showed me that Dr. Kinley, who we do not worship, you know, it was the spirit in him that we understand is Joshua the Messiah. In ways he was a specially prepared body as well, because he could have chose anyone. I heard somebody in class a long time ago, like he could have called somebody named, uh, it could have been anybody. Um, he could have called anyone, but he called this one. And I can see why, because Dr. Kinley, before he was Dr. Kinley, he actually was seeking the truth with Yahweh. And so anyway, he brought us in here and he tells us, um, can we go to Matt? No, no, no. John 5 and 39. Mm -hmm. John 5, 39. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Mm-hmm. Read. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of Yahweh in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye mm -hmm. receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. Okay, really quickly, can we have the name chart, please? Thank you. So, my family came up, Lord God, Jesus Christ. My auntie years ago, before she passed away, we were having this thing where I was telling her about Yahweh, and she kept pointing in the Bible, and it was like, God, but it is God. And I did not have enough understanding yet to actually go off into that with her because all she kept doing was paint, showing that it says God, showing that it says God, showing that it says God. But we know that every God and every Lord has a name. All of the ones that were down in wherever they were, whether they were in Egypt, whether they was in Canaan's land, all of the different gods that they had, they all had a name. And we know in Exodus, when Moses asked the father specifically, what is your name? You know, and even though it says the Lord thy God, and no, 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 he asked them for a name because in Thessalonians, it tells you that there are Lord's many and there are God's many. Our father's name is Yahweh. His divine title is Elohim. Yahshua is saying, I'm coming in my father's name, bearing his father's name. My last name is Mac then that means that either my dad or some uh, family that I would be married into, I'm coming in somebody's father's name. So he's given us, that's Romans 1, 19 and 20, where he's given us an example. Yah is the masculine portion of his name. Way is the fem feminine. He is male and female within himself, self-sustaining. See, because when he called their name Adam, Eve was there the entire time. So he gives, gives himself a divine title of Elohim. Now, I know it's 12 tribes around that um, tabernacle. One had a banner of an eagle. One had a banner of a lion. 
One had a banner of an ox, and one side had a banner of a face of a man. E-L-O-Him, Elohim. Then Yahshua is just saying that Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh is our Savior. Okay, can we keep reading? Sure. Uh, 45, 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. So, but if ye, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry too. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Okay, so I want to say this. There is the ninth aim says to make known that Yahweh. Let me see. Let me get one To make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained there is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua the Messiah. This is so important. Because for some people, it would seem like vanity, being that we've been taught, it don't matter what you call him, he knows what's in your heart. All of these different things that we were, Satan uses to um, trick people. I have woke up at five o'clock this morning to TV is still on. Some guy is telling him to sow a seed for $58 every month for 12 months, still in front of people. You know, and, 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 and he's talking about his black horse and all of these, it's so blatant. Just like what's, what, what's going on in the world right now, it's just blatant. They're not even hiding it anymore. But it is very important to know that this is, there's no other name that you could be saved by. That, that's, first of all, that's it. So can you read that last one again, um, Linda, please? Yeah, and I skipped 44. So let me just read that real quick. 44, okay. how, can, how can ye believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from Yahweh only? And then, okay. and then you'd mm -hmm. like a 46 again? Yes, please. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Okay. But if ye believe we... not his writings, how shall ye mm -hmm. believe my words? Okay, thank you. Can we have the um, the Moses chart, please? I've read that scripture many times, you know, before I even um, got in the class. But, you know, it's like, where did he write? Of, he wrote of me. Where did he, where did, where did Moses write of Yahshua the Messiah? You know, and, oh gosh, this whole thing about, the blood and the water and the spirit, you know, um, death, burial, and resurrection. You know, Moses, um, let's go to, well, we're going to talk about just the Passover, how they actually were delivered out of Egypt. And I'm just, I, I don't remember the exact scriptures. And just for the sake of time, I do know this, that, John later on is going to say, behold, the lamb of Yahweh. Well, they had to take out a lamb and they had to examine that lamb for four days. They had to examine because the lamb 
could be without, it could not be with any spot or blemish. Four days, you know, four is so important to us. We understand about four being a change. And anyway, he comes in on the fourth day. But anyway, they had to examine the lamb. And that lamb was pierced in the side and the, the blood was drained. And they had to put, they had to take his up and they had to strike the two, two side posts and the top dipping from a basin. That's that four point configuration right there. And then you can see that to the right where he is going because of the lamb of Yahweh, because he is going to be sacrificed on this cross. So this is the four point, points of blood. It also shows things about the tabernacle too, you know, but I'm just, let me just do one thing at a time. And so, and they had to, the lamb actually had to be eaten. Um, it had to be roasted. They ate that with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. The bitter herbs were to remind them of where they came from. And the unleavened bread was because the Messiah had not risen yet. That was their Passover meal to get them out of Egypt. And that was prescribed by Yahweh himself. Whoever did not have that, um, well, Israel had it, but everyone else, because there was the 10 plagues with the flies and the locusts and all of these different things, because Yahweh did tell them when Moses went down there to talk to Pharaoh, he told him that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart to show forth his power. So it's back and forth, back and forth. But again, this is part of the purpose. But that last one, when the firstborn died, yeah, then he was like, you know what? Go ahead and take everything, you guys, and go. And just go. So again, and they left out of Egypt with substance. They left out of there. See, we see it as they're spoiling the Egyptians and all of those different things that they had because they were going to use that for the tabernacle. But the point is that they left out with substance. And so they go to the Red Sea. That's three days. And now they hear Pharaoh again, because he's on them. He's, he's on them again. And all of them, you know, and I get it. They were scared. Moses, you brought us out here to die because they didn't have anything in them yet to actually understand what was going on. But he told them to stand still and see the salvation of Yahweh. And it was not like in the Ten Commandment movies where the water just came up. No, that water tunneled them in. They went through death, through burial, and they were resurrected in Mount Sinai. So then there's other things that's going on there. Moses goes up on Mount three times and other different things. But I'm just going to say right here that I'm just, I'm overwhelmed in a good way. I'm overwhelmed in a good way because not like this has not been real to me the entire time. You just have moments where he just hits you with these visitations and where you just understand how deep or how high, whichever way you want to look at it, this thing really is. That what he is doing to, what he has done to save our soul, what he is doing to keep us sane, what he is doing to keep us safe. The things that we, and I don't want to say take for granted, and that's the issue that I'm having, is I don't want to take anything 
regrets it. Mm -hmm. Because we are, my grandmother, years ago, we've been saying we're in the last days, last days, and we, they don't even understand. I didn't understand the last days on the dispensation chart, what date it really is. But you can look and see clearly, this is done. And hallelujah, because, you know, we, we're going to endure to the end. And enduring is not enjoying. This is no fun. And I'm going to tell you, I don't like it. I don't like it here. But this is Yahweh's purpose. And he is the one that's keeping us. So it's gonna, whatever his will is, that's what it's going to be. Just Father, please keep us and everything that we need. I can't remember the scripture, but there's one scripture and we read it recently about us already being made meat. He has made us meat. That means acceptable because what do you give to you like you would there's nothing else you can give him. We have nothing to give him except our love. Honestly, except our love. And he understands that. He is the creator of everything. All we can give him is our love. Wholeheartedly, with your heart and your soul. But just in the meantime, while we're here, I don't want to waste time doing, I don't like my distractions. It's not a big thing, but for me it is. Because time you know, Yahweh resides in the realm of eternity, but I don't want to waste my time here. Knowing that my neighbors, my coworkers, even though I'm going to tell them they don't have a clue, and Yahweh will have mercy on whom he will, but I is different when you know. See, you're held accountable when you know something. So I just want to just say thank you to him for mercy, thank him for grace, and just keep me, Father, you know, keep the body, which, and I don't have to say keep the body, because it's already purpose, we're already kept, I just want to feel worthy, you know, and even though I'm not, but I do everything that I can to show them how much I love them, but it's really gonna come from the inside. It's not gonna be just outside things. It's just that I don't like that. I just feel like I should focus a little bit more. And so, and that's just some personal thing, but I know he has me, but I just, I don't take this for granted. And I love him and I love the body because this is the only place, you're the only one that I can actually, um, I'm at home, this is my family. You know, we all speak the same language, the Holy Spirit. So I appreciate, even though it is Yahshua, because I do try to spirit by the spirit, was coming through. It is Yahshua the Messiah speaking through these vessels. And I love to see it. I love to hear the lectures and everything. I just, this is a place to be. And, you know, even though in class is a place to be, but it's a state of mind. So I appreciate you all. I love you all, and we're going to keep each other lifted up. I'm sorry. I, well, I'm not sorry. I'm just emotional. That's just what it is, you know, but I am grateful to be here. And, you know, all praises, all glory, and all honor belong to Yahweh Elohim, Yahshua, our Messiah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Dr. Mack. And our next speaker this afternoon will be the Dean of our Rhode Island class, Dr. Sue Sikelski. Good afternoon, everybody. Could we go into the scripture reading, Matthew 7? And I'd like to pick up initially um, down towards the end, starting at 24. There's 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Now, this is the Messiah speaking. If you have a red letter version, this verse is in red. And he's, he, he spoke eloquently um, prior to this verse in this chapter. And then says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, does, I'm sorry, does them, I will liken him <laughs> unto a wise man who mm -hmm. built his house upon a rock. Now, we know that Yahshua spoke oft times in parables or compared things to natural examples that we might be familiar with. So he's talking about somebody who builds a house upon a rock. And the house in this case, and if you go into the Greek to look this up as well, it refers to your dwelling place or your abode or your residence. So he's talking about where you live not necessarily just a physical house that you might build upon land, but where you're living, um, you're a wise man if you build your house upon a rock. Read. And, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. Now, this place where the wise man dwelt, lived, um, his abode, was assaulted by rains and floods and winds, and it beat upon that dwelling place. But the dwelling place held up because it was founded upon a rock. Now, let's take a detour for a moment, go into uh, Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter, and I think I want to start right at one, and we're going to read down a, a few verses here. Um, yeah, start right at one. All right, Deuteronomy 32, 1. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall, shall distill as the dew. As the small rain upon the tender herb and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will proclaim the name of Yahweh, ascribe ye greatness unto our Elohim. All right. So it's talking about um, a way to look at life and a way to look at back here. Deuteronomy is a retelling of what Israel and Moses went through. And it's talking about publishing or proclaiming the name of Yahweh, ascribing greatness unto our Elohim. Read. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, an Elohim of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. All right. So here we find out what the rock is that the wise man is building his dwelling place on. It's Yahweh, our Elohim. And 
we find out from this description that Yahweh Elohim's work is perfect. His ways are, are justice or just. He's an Elohim of truth without iniquity, just and right is he. So that's the foundation that this house or dwelling place is being built on. Now let's go back into Matthew 7 and continue reading um, where we were. Mm -hmm. Verse uh, 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And now we have a contrast. We have uh, someone who doesn't do the sayings and is likened unto a foolish man who builds his dwelling place upon the sand. And what happens with him? And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. All right. And that dwelling place did not hold up when those storms, those tribulations, those infirmities, those trials and testings that we experience, um, when those hit, the house built upon sand fell. And you know, from a natural standpoint, and up here in Rhode Island, we have a lot of oceanfront, sandy beaches, etc., places that people do build their houses. And if you get a bad storm or a hurricane come through, and you get those rains and you get those winds, it's not unusual for some of those houses to come down and you see the, the sights during these storms and there's houses that just fall into the water and get swept away. Um, this, is, this is very much a real natural thing that could happen to somebody who builds their dwelling place. And surprisingly, and I think this probably happens in Florida and other places that we've seen recently go through these horrible storms, people just go back and they rebuild. And so the next storm comes through and here we go again. Um, foolish people don't, they rebuild on sand or rebuild on areas that are prone to being destroyed. Now, if this is a parable, we wanna understand the principle that's being talked about here. And if we listen to the first speaker, she was an example of somebody who clearly has a house that's built strongly upon the things that she has seen and understood and heard and experienced in this teaching. And those, those form a strong foundation built upon a rock. And all of us have um, been able to look back on, and we know that a hindsight is a lot of times where the clarity comes, but if we look back from when we walked in the door to this class to the situation we're in now, and we can think about where we live, where our dwelling place is, um, not the physical building on the street that we live on, but that place in our hearts and in our minds where we, we dwell and where we live and where things get determined as to how we think and how we react and how we respond and how we um, deal with the things in the world and um, all of that, that this parable is talking about knowing what the right foundation is to build your house or your dwelling place. And we want to make sure that we're doing that 
with, with all of the right things on that rock that we read about in Deuteronomy 32. Now, let's go back up to the beginning of this chapter and pick up a few verses, and then we're going to skip down to something else here. Start at one, please. Matthew 7 and 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Keep reading. And why beholdest thou mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thy own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thy eye, and behold, a beam is in thy own eye, thou hypocrite, which cast out the beam out of thy own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Okay, so again... He's using some analogies to try and make a point in talking with these people. And usually in the crowds, there, there's crowds of followers. There's the religious elders who always seem to be around and listening and trying to trap him in something or hear something that they can accuse him of. Um, so there's a very mixed crowd here listening to these um, things that he's saying. And he uses an example of, um, if you say that there, your brother has a problem, that there's a moat in your brother's eye, um, which would be like um, a small stick or a uh, uh, sliver or whatever, but you're not even thinking about the beam, the huge piece of wood that you have in your own eye. Um, he's trying to get them to see that they're going about this all wrong because they're busy um, accusing their brother and they're not even noticing the situation in their own um, uh, um, opinions and, and thoughts and judgments and the way that they're interacting with everybody. He's calling them hypocrites. And first you have to straighten out your own act and then you can talk about somebody else. Um, it, it, and the reality is once you straighten out your own act, um, and you see that uh, you are not worthy and that you have loads of issues and um, you'll spend the rest of your time trying to look at where your issues are and be focused way less on those of the people around you. Um, but in this case, he's just trying to make a point, look at yourself and your issues and stop worrying about all the stuff with your brethren. Now, if you go down to the end of the chapter, pick it up at 28 and 29 for me, please. Verse 28. And it shall come to pass when Yahshua had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. All right. And so he gets through all these different examples that he's using in this chapter and others. Um, and it says that when he finished speaking, the people were astonished or amazed at what he had said at his doctrine, because he taught them as having authority, not as the scribes, and I'll elaborate, or the Pharisees, or the Sadducees, um, all the religious elders of the time. 
they noticed the difference in what was said and how it was said by the Messiah versus the religious elders that they had been um, following or instructed by. And they were making a comparison and they saw a huge difference because he spoke straightforward. He spoke about things that were tough to speak about. He didn't shy away from the truth or pointing out where there were um, issues or hypocrisy or um, other things that um, needed to be pointed out and needed to have the light shed on them at the time that he was walking around in his ministry. He spoke to one to them having authority, not as the scribes. And if you think about what's happened since um, Dr. Kinley came in, having had the vision and the revelation, he has taught with spoken with authority and spoken with clarity and spoken with um, straightforwardness and with proof. The first speaker mentioned how Dr. Kinley had said, I am telling you that I have had a vision and a revelation from God, from Yahweh Elohim, but I don't expect you to believe me. I want you to expect proof. And I want, it, I want you not to accept something until it's proved to your satisfaction. You tell me if that's the kind of thing that you heard in church, um, temple, um, religious classes, philosophical classes, is that the attitude that most of the world teaches what they claim to have, um, have seen or to know or to want to share with you about God? It's not with authority and it's not with um, the clarity and the proof and the witnesses that we've been given and shown in this, um, in this school as Doc has um, uh, declared or proclaimed what he has seen from, from God. And that's an important difference. And that's something that we want people to hold us to, expect witnesses, expect proof, expect explanations. Now, um, um, let's see, could somebody get First Thessalonians 5.21? And um, could we go to John 17.3? After that, please. Okay, First Thessalonians 5 and 21. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. All right, so in the so-called New Testament, in one of the epistles, it says, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good which is just another way of saying what I just explained that our founder said should be our approach to trying to um, listen to and accept anything that someone tries to tell you um, they've been sent from God or you need to know this about um, your heavenly father or about his purpose or um, about what you need to do in order to quote, be saved or to go to heaven when you die. All of these things people care about and they're worried about and you need to build your house upon a rock to go back to that original analogy. What you accept needs to be a firm foundation that when the winds come and the rain and all of that, it won't cause your dwelling place to, to fall. Um, now, John 17, 3 is the Messiah speaking and this is 
one of the scriptures that we oftentimes get in a class to try and um, explain why list, um, learning things, um, getting witnesses, getting proof, understanding what your, your heavenly father is doing, why it is so important to you. Um, so if somebody could read that for me, please. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true El, and Yahshua, the Messiah, whom thou hast sent. All right. This is life eternal. And to use the other um, uh, references or, or um, other phrases, um, this is how this is um, the kingdom of heaven. This is um, life everlasting. This is um, salvation. This is being saved. It's to know Yahweh and Yahshua the Messiah. And so this is telling us that eternal life is not doing a whole bunch of different things that we might have been led to believe were important in order to be, quote, saved. Um, going to church every week, um, being water baptized, Lord's suppers, um, whole bunches of other things that we've been led to believe are, in, are required in order to go to heaven. What the Messiah is saying, knowledge is life eternal. So to know Yahweh and to know Yahshua, that's what you need to focus on. It's the knowledge to know something for a surety, to know something for um, uh, definite, to so know something that is not a blind belief where someone's told you if you um, accept this and believe it, you'll get some kind of confirmation or explanation after you die. You don't wanna take a chance if they're wrong and you die, um, you're not going to have that, you're not gonna be in that state of mind or have that dwelling place that is the firm foundation and has been truth that can cause you to inherit eternal life. And you'll notice that one of our aims is to in inherit eternal life now, um, which also should be something that's thought provoking. Um, it's not something that you have to wait till after you die to participate in. Because if knowledge is life eternal, you can certainly start to reap the benefits of that from the things that we teach and share and get revealed to you through the Holy Spirit in this class. Now, I want to take a little bit of a detour here. Um, if, if you look at our fourth aim, which I'll just read um, for convenience sake here, to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, and modern practical and occult science. Now, we spend a lot of time talking about things that one might call religious or out of the Bible or um, that are more of what the world claim or categorizes as religious type things. Um, but there's a whole nother um, part of the universe science, philosophy, um, all, all those other things that we can investigate and that you will hear speakers talk about from time to time, because the reality is that everything has been brought into existence by our heavenly father. 
and um, through, through Yahweh Elohim. And all of those things um, portray, define, depict, um, express, they all help us understand more about our Heavenly Father's purpose and um, the, the universe that we're living in and how his purpose is unfolding and has been laid out there for us. And so things like um, the Bible and science can agree in spite of what the world sometimes leads us to believe. Um, all of these things are unified through un an understanding of the purpose pattern plan that, that Yahweh has put into um, place that we're participating in. And one of the things that I wanted to share for a couple of minutes this evening, I was cleaning out a file and came across an article that um, I think our class had worked with quite a long time ago because it's back from 2019. Um, but it really struck me as pertinent to what's going on on a lot of fronts these days and the way that we talk about kind of thinking about things. The article is entitled Intellectual Humility, The Importance of Knowing You Might Be Wrong. And so let me read a few excerpts from this because I think our goal is always to continue to try and keep ourselves honest, to keep our thinking clean and clear, um, and to make sure we're on a mission to understand the truth. And so um, all of these things from the world are very applicable to that, even though they might not be so-called from the Bible or, or um, religion. So this is an article again from January of 2019. The subtitle says, why it's so hard to see our own ignorance and what to do about it. And I'll, let me read a little bit from, from this article. It says, um, there's a particular scientist, they want to create a radical new culture for social scientists. A personality psychologist at the Max Planck Institute for Human Development, she is trying to get her peers to publicly willingly admit when they are wrong. To do this, she, along with some colleagues, started up something called the Loss of Confidence Project, and it's designed to be an academic safe space for researchers to declare for all to see that they no longer believe in the accuracy of one or more of their previous findings. The effort recently yielded a paper that includes six admissions of no confidence. I think it's a cultural issue that people are not willing to admit mistakes, she said. Our broader goal is to gently nudge the whole scientific system and psychology toward a different culture where it's okay and expected for researchers to admit past mistakes and not get penalized for it. The project is timely because a large number of scientific findings have been disproven or become more doubtful in recent years. One high profile effort to retest 100 psychological experiments found only 40% were replicated when done with more rigorous methods. It's been a painful period for social scientists who have had to deal with failed replications of studies and their research practices were often weak. Not knowing the scope of your own ignorance is part of the human condition. Now, um, 
just in a very general sense of a comment, I think most people are familiar with um, how science generally works with trying to prove something where um, a hypothesis is um, put out there, something that people believe may be true or they wanna prove the, the truth or lack uh, thereof of something that um, uh, of a theory, what we might call a theory concept or opinion in science, um, a theory. And they design experiments to try and find out whether what they're speculating is accurate or not. And in doing that, they come up with some kinds of outcomes or conclusions. And it's been found in a lot of cases that either the process for trying to go through that proving process was not rigorous, was not designed um, in a way that gets to an answer that you can have full confidence in, um, or in some cases it was done with a small sample size and it wasn't able to be replicated or the results um, repeated when they do it with a larger um, amount of people to try and come up with the same conclusions. There's all sorts of things that go on or there's just downright fraud in some cases where people um, are just trying to make um, a name for themselves or advance their careers. And some of that gets discussed in this article. But it's starting with the fact that um, if people kind of genuinely just find out that something that they had done and put forth is actually not true or not accurate or found to be um, not valid, uh, people don't generally come forward to admit these um, mistakes or these um, uh, uh, change, in, change in outcomes. People don't like to admit they were wrong is kind of the bottom line of this. So um, I'll continue here with a couple of more excerpts of this. She said, I've come to appreciate what a crucial tool it is, it is for learning especially in an increasingly interconnected and complicated world. As technology makes it easier to lie and spread false information incredibly quickly, we need intellectually humble and curious people. I've also realized how difficult it is to foster intellectual humility. In my reporting on this, I've learned there are three main challenges on the path to humility. In order for us to acquire more intellectual humility, we all, even the smartest among us, need to better appreciate our cognitive blind spots. Our minds are more imperfect and imprecise than we'd often like to admit. Our ignorance can be invisible. Even when we overcome the immense challenge and figure out our errors, we need to remember we won't necessarily be punished for saying I was wrong. We need to be braver about saying it. We need a culture that celebrates those words and will never achieve perfect intellectual humility. So we need to choose our convictions thoughtfully. Um, let's see, don't confuse intellectual humility with overall humility or bashfulness. It's not about being a pushover or lacking, self -confident, lack, lacking confidence or self-esteem, the intellectually humble don't cave every time their thoughts are challenged. Instead, it's a method of thinking. It's about entertaining the possibility that we may be wrong 
and then being open to learning from the experience of others. It's being actively curious about your blind spots. Um, let's see. There's a couple of other comments in here. Um, most important, the intellectually humble are more likely to admit when they are wrong. And when we admit we're wrong, we can grow closer to the truth. Now, um, let's see, there's one or two more, let's see. Let me just, when they get to the conclusions, I just wanna to get to the later part of the pages. So this whole, let's see, whole concept of intellectual humility really struck me as something that um, with divine help, we would hope that we also have in this class. Um, we shouldn't be afraid to say that we don't know something when somebody asks a question or to respond um, if someone challenges something that we say and we need to go back and rethink it or to identify um, our witnesses for what we had um, talked about and to share them and to be open to listening if somebody's got a different way of thinking about it or um, don't believe that um, maybe what we said was totally accurate. And we allow for the fact that we all have different um, levels of things being shown to us and we don't see everything, we don't understand everything, certainly don't understand everything fully. And that um, what kind of nature or approach do we wanna have in class relative to others and to talking about truth? So, um, all right, to be, here's another quote from the article, to be intellectually humble doesn't mean giving up on the ideas we love and believe in. It just means we need to be thoughtful in choosing our convictions, be open to adjusting them, seek out their flaws and never stop being curious about why we believe what we believe. Again, that is not easy. So um, I found I, this article kind of just seemed timely in my going back and rereading it and thinking about um, some of the challenges we have in the class and some of the things that go on when we're trying to share information and um, talk with others. But it's worth remembering that our goal is to be as truthful and as um, open and as thoughtful as we can be about those things that Yahweh um, has shared with us. And um, let me, let's see, um, I had one other scripture I wanted to get here before we wind down. Um, I'd like to go back in. I think let's go back into John 5, where the first speaker was, um, to pick up a couple of things in, in that verse that struck me as being applicable to um, what we were talking about. So we're going to go John 5, starting at 39 again, please. Ye search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men. Okay, so let's stop there for a moment. 
So the Messiah is responding to, to them, um, the scribes and the Pharisees, the people, search the scriptures, for in them they thought they had eternal life, but he's saying they are that which testify of me. They are my witnesses. Um, and you won't come to me that you might have life. Um, and he's saying, you think the scriptures have eternal life. The reality is he's the one who was eternal life standing there in front of them. And they won't, they wouldn't come to him or they wouldn't listen to him that they might have eternal life. And then he says, I receive not honor from men. And that seems like a kind of strange thing to just drop into the middle of this discussion but we know that he doesn't say things without without a reason and so um he he just makes a point of saying he doesn't receive honor from men he doesn't um care about what the other people think what the scribes and the pharisees and the religious elders whether they they agree with him or not he doesn't care really whether the people accept what he has to say um, he doesn't receive honor or recognition or praise from men read but i know you that ye have not the love of yahweh in you i am coming my i am coming my father's name and ye receive me not if another shall come in his own name him ye will receive how can ye believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from Yahweh only? All right. And so he's elaborating further um, about this principle of honor one of another. He's saying, how can you believe? How can you, scribes, Pharisees, elders, people, how can you believe Yahweh or the, the truth, the things that are being said, if you receive honor one of another and don't seek the honor that comes from Yahweh only. And so we've talked in the past about how the honor of men can be called the currency of the carnal mind and how what other people think, um, including like if scientists were to um, own up to the fact that something they had done, thank you, I see that, is something that they had done, conclusions of work that they had done, papers they have published, whatever, it, if they find after the fact that they need to go back in and say, um, I, this is no longer valid, or I have to um, let you know about something, whatever, um, they care so much about what the rest of the community, the scientific community says, they care about the impact on their careers. Um, they care about um, things other than just the basic truth and what's out there um, as the words that they have spoken. And so we go back into this scripture and the honor of men is always been the thing cared about. Um, there's a number of places in the gospels that Yahshua talks about them um, uh, loving the praise of men rather than um, of what he's trying to say, they they don't um, they don't accept what he's trying to say, or they come to him in the night because they don't want the others to know that they like Nicodemus um, to know that some of them were actually listening to what the Messiah had to say. Um, we want to be open and listening and 
um, reject the honor of men when we see that might be something that we're tending towards or that we worry about. And we want to care about the love of the brethren, the love of the truth, and provide witnesses and have um, the knowledge uh, to, to try and be able to um, uh, show Yahweh as he actually exists and truthfully, um, or I'm, now I'm screwing up our aim, but our goal is to manifest that in as much honesty and transparency and love that we can um, as part of our role as ministers and teachers in this class. And I'll turn it back over to the moderator. Thank you, Dr. Sikelski. And our third speaker this afternoon will be Dr. Diane Emler from our Oceanside class. We're here. Good evening, everybody. <laughs> Good evening. I just have to walk over a couple of dogs here. Uh, I have uh, enjoyed class. Uh, the testimony of the first two speakers, I found um, thought provoking. Um, it is a profound joy when we are able to come together and to uh, speak of Yahweh in spirit and in truth. Um, I don't know that I'll really get into this, but last night I uh, uh, was in bed and I started listening to some uh, YouTube videos and the difference between the uh, Roman Catholic Church and uh, the Orthodox Church. Yeah. And this was brought out uh, somewhat in uh, the seminar that uh, just took place in Lansing. Uh, of course, uh, there was a lot of dis uh, discussion about Russia. And of course, Russia is uh, predominantly uh, part of the Orthodox Church. Um, and the difference is, First of all, I'll just say this, that I had always heard uh, that the Pope uh, was the Bishop of Rome, and I never really thought about that, but come to find out uh, when Christianity first began, uh, and of course, the Christianity that we're going to refer to is really the departure of what the true disciples taught. 
but there was the formation of uh, the Christian church, and there was a lot of different beliefs. And that's when uh, Constantine uh, sort of stepped in and wanted uh, Christianity to be more defined and wanted uh, all of this fighting between the Christians to come to an end. But in reality, what they did in uh, Nicene is they set up bishops over the church. And I believe at first there were five bishops, uh, one of them being in Rome, one of them being in Constantinople. I think uh, originally one was in Jerusalem, uh, possibly Egypt. I forget yeah. the original. And Antioch. And uh, it's Egypt. It Egypt, Alexandria. right. Alexandria, that was it. So the point was, is that there were these five bishops put in charge of the Christian religion. And uh, Rome was the head of one of those bishops, and that would be the Bishop of Rome, which uh, now refers to himself as the Pope. Uh, and they were all supposed to be equal in power and weren't really supposed to uh, do anything that the others did not agree on. Um, of course, that changed. Um, and I'll just kind of blurt out here that uh, the differences in modern Roman Catholicism and the different Orthodox churches. And when I, you know, there's the Russian Orthodox and the Greek Orthodox. Um, there's other Orthodox religions of Christianity. Uh, but the difference between the Roman uh, Catholics and the other uh, uh, doctrines. Uh, first of all, is an item, uh, a, a question of relics. Uh, all of the bishops decided that relics and images of God or Mary uh, should not be used in the church. Uh, and we know that uh, the Bishop of Rome did not go along with that, and they refused to give up their relics and uh, their Mary worship. Uh, that's one main difference. Uh, the other, of course, is that the Pope is supposed to be the supreme head of all Roman Catholics. Uh, the Orthodox do not have that kind of a setup. They still have a committee of bishops, which makes decisions for all of the Orthodox churches. 
there's a difference in the Eucharist. Uh, the uh, Roman Catholics believe it should be unleavened bread. Uh, the Orthodox churches believe that uh, that's too Jewish and they use regular uh, bread, not, uh, uh, they use leavened bread. Uh, children are a part of the church right from birth. Not only are they uh, um, baptized when they're children, but as soon as they are able to walk and eat, they are allowed uh, to eat the Eucharist and so on. So there's no waiting until you're eight or nine years old. They're a part of the church right from the start. Uh, there's a big difference in Easter. Uh, not only the dates, that's just a difference in calendar, but uh, the Roman Catholics center on the death of the Messiah much more than uh, the Orthodox Church. They uh, center on uh, the resurrection. Uh, and one of the, and I've kind of been saving this for last, <laughs> one of the biggest differences is uh, their understanding of the Godhead. And in uh, the Council of Nicene, Nicaea, uh, they came up with an Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed was really uh, to kind of snuff out some other theories that were out there uh, about the Godhead. And it coming down to the question of Jesus and whether Jesus is really God or part God, or is he God part, man part? And many of them believe that he was born a man, but then at the baptism became a God. But then when he was on the cross, he gave up the God part because God couldn't be crucified. So he couldn't have been God when he was crucified. And, and the theories go on and on. But at the Council of Nicene, they came up with the Apostles' Creed, which I in part remember having to recite when I was in church as a Presbyterian, not even a Catholic. And I think that most organized major uh, Protestant religions go along with the Apostles' Creed. Now, when the Apostles' Creed was uh, first written, uh, they talked about uh, the Holy Spirit getting its divinity from God. And everyone agreed with it. And then a couple hundred years later, the Roman Catholics decided to change the Apostles' Creed. 
And they put in the Apostle Creed the phrasing and the Son. So there's read that the Holy Ghost gets its divinity from the Father, God the Father, and the Son. And that changed the whole outlook on the difference between uh, the Orthodox and the Roman Catholics is the big difference in the divinity of Jesus. Um, when I got up this morning, tried to explain things that I heard to Carl, <laughs> which I never can explain very well anything first thing in the morning. And so uh, he, we put it on the TV and started listening, and it drove us to uh, the origins of the Trinity, which if you think reading the Baltimore Catechism regarding the Trinity is confusing, uh, you should read the development of the Trinity. It, as they stated, there's two things that, two ways that people feel about the Trinity. The first is people say they don't understand the Trinity. And second is those who say they do understand the Trinity, yet and still they can't. Uh, so nobody is clear on this Trinitarian concept. Now, as much as I found the history of it all interesting and an expanded knowledge now about the origins of the Roman Catholic Church. And because we grew up in the Western uh, uh, world, uh, our exposure to the Orthodox churches is very limited. Uh, and, and that was the other big difference is in, uh, there's political differences, I won't go into that, but language difference because the Orthodox religions had their scriptures in Greek and spoke Greek. Uh, and of course, in the Roman Catholic Church, they went to uh, Latin. And the masses, for all of you ex-Roman uh, Catholics, uh, you know, uh, if you're old enough, that the masses used to always be done in Latin. Um, so this question of the Godhead is something that the Christians have been arguing about really right from the beginning. Now, I'm not saying that the apostles, meaning Peter or uh, uh, Paul or uh, Stephen or Luke or whoever else who originally taught the true teachings of Yahshua 
uh, were confused on these issues. But those that <clears throat> decided to uh, make uh, this Christ, Jesus, a new religion uh, and decided to uh, insert their own beliefs and insert their own concepts uh, and doctrines from other religions, uh, they are the ones that have uh, developed this atmosphere of religion in the world that we live in now so confusing that it's hard to untangle uh, what any one belief really believes. Uh, it is so entangled in uh, power and authority. It's entangled uh, uh, in uh, economics, uh, in government, and it is a wicked web. And that is uh, what I'd like to touch on tonight uh, and try to uh, show that the nature of Yahweh can be easily understood. And yet it is the mystery of iniquity. Now, when this creation began, uh, Yahweh Elohim created an opponent, an opposer, a um, adversary, uh, so that his righteousness might be declared or highlighted uh, so that the differences would be profound. And the Christianity does not go along with the understanding that Yahweh did create the mystery of iniquity. And we were there the other night. Is that in uh, Isaiah? 45, I think. Um, I create, anybody there with me? Yeah, it is Isaiah, Isaiah 45. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell them where you're reading and we'll go on from there. Isaiah 45 and 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, Yahweh, do all these things. Now, the witness came to the door here before Carl had his old Jehovah Witnesses. <laughs> and I talked to them about that the world was just as it was supposed to be. And of course, that Yahweh had created evil 
and they I thought they were gonna faint (laughs) (laughs) when I said that because they cannot wrap their heads around the fact that Yahweh has a purpose and within this purpose the mystery of iniquity has an essential role now reread what you just read there in Isaiah 45 I form the light and create darkness he says i form the light or begotten i have formed the light and i have created darkness there's a difference between forming something and creating something uh go ahead and read i make peace and create evil he makes peace and he creates evil. Read. I, Yahweh, do all these things. Now, Yahweh does all of these things. And that's so essential for us to understand that there is nothing out of control that this is all part of his purpose uh pattern or his plan his pattern or his plan this is all running the way that it was supposed to be now um get me just real quick um uh john 844 and I need divided against himself. John 844. Shall I get that now? Yes, please. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Now, who who's he talking to, Linda? Uh the religious leaders. He is talking to the religious leaders of the time. Boy, there's so much I'm not going to be able to do uh, because of the way I started this. But, you know, the book tells us that his angels, the mystery of iniquity, that his angels will appear as angels of light. They will disguise themselves as being righteous and we've already read tonight how that uh uh, that mystery of iniquity uh is a, a a wolf in sheep's clothing appear to be one thing but in actuality is something different and the the opposite of that is what Susie was talking about as far as that honesty. We want to be as honest as we can be with ourselves, with other people, and with Yahweh. We need to be honest about 
who we are and trust that Yahweh will cause us to be that which we need to be to pass into the new heaven and earth state. We need to trust him on that because pretending you got it all together in reality, it's all falling apart is not honest. Mm -hmm. It's if it's falling apart, trust me, we all get that. <laughs> uh, the point is, is that we need to uh, be honest. But here, these uh, religious leaders uh, picked that right up at the get-go. Uh, um, John, John 8, 44. Linda. Thank you, Linda. I forgot <laughs> the name. That's okay. Ye, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Yes, read. He was a murderer from the beginning. And a now he was truth. he was a murderer right from the get go, and in Revelation the twelfth chapter we read about that war in heaven. In uh, Ezekiel we read how he wants to be, and in Isaiah how he wants to be like the Most High, even greater than that. He wants to be lifted up above the Most High. And he is no good through and through. And right at the Garden of Eden, he went right to Eve, who was the weakest one. And isn't that what a predator does? If a predator animal, a, a lion is out hunting uh, uh, and they find a pack of, I don't know, wildebeest, they look for the weak, the young and the old, because they're going to be straggling behind the pack. And that's the one they attack. They don't attack those who are full of strength. They attack the ones who are weakest. And so this is what he did in the Garden of Eden. He went right after Eve in that Garden of Eden, uh, who had come from Yahshua's rib and womb, but was uh, Adam's rib and womb. Uh, but Adam was talking with Elohim, and Eve was the weaker of the two. So he goes right after Eve and says, what is it that uh, God or Yahweh uh, has told you about this tree? And she goes, well, we're not supposed to eat of it. Otherwise, we're going to die. And he just inserts that, that word saying, you shall not surely die. Right. He makes up a story that sounded good. Plus the fact that he looked good. He, you know, uh, Ezekiel talks about his coverings and his jewels and 
how magnificent he looked. And that's what Eve was looking at. Wow, this guy is really something and believed what he said. See, that was murder. He was a murderer right from the get-go. See, go ahead and read, Linda. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because right. there is no truth in him. He abides not in the truth because there's no truth in him. And I'm telling you, he, uh, 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 there, <laughs> he cannot lie unless he's got some truth to twist. So Yahweh had to give the commandment not to eat at that tree or you shall surely die. The truth had to be spoken first. And then comes the mystery of iniquity and twists it or turns it or spins it to make it sound like something else. And you have this going on in the entire world right this night, and you see it night after night, uh, whether you're reading the news or watching the news, uh, it, it's just one a uh, uh, statement and then all of the uh, um, twisting and turning begins about what that really means. And you are hard pressed in this world today to distinguish a truth from a lie, especially these days when it's an out now, I mean, statements are made with absolutely no evidence, zero evidence, not even a credible witness. And yet people believe it. Why? Because of who said it. And because who said it looks like they're successful and they know what they're talking about. And I'm going with him because I wish I was just like him. And people believe anything these days, and especially in religion. And we come out here uh, on Zoom, on YouTube, trying to get people to see that there really is a truth about the creator and that you can know that truth and there's witnesses for that truth and you do not have to believe the lie but you need to think about what you hear. You need to follow the witnesses. You can't just follow the Roman Catholic Church because they got over a billion people and they've got all kinds of money and have been around for millennia. That's not the point. The point is what are the facts? What are the witnesses? What really is the truth? See, so I just looked at the clock. Let's go to Romans 1, 19 and 20. Romans 1, 19. Because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them, for Yahweh has showed it unto them. Now, we can know this because Yahweh has shown us, read. 
for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Now, he has created this entire creation, not only the Bible, but the entire creation and all of the sciences that Susie was talking about, biology and chemistry and anthropology, and just go on and on. All of the sciences are here for us to learn about Yahweh. Read. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. And yes, you can know about his Godhead or his supernal nature so much so that we're without an excuse, see? And it's, it, it, it's something that should give you a crack of light in this world of darkness. See? Now, the chart that we have in front of us uh, is the Moses chart. And uh, uh, the children of Israel were, were down at the bottom there in the land of Egypt, slaves. Uh, and uh, another Israelite whose name was Moses. Uh, was in the wilderness of Sinai, which is that brownish part. And he uh, was tending his father-in-law's sheep. And one day uh, he came upon uh, a bush that was burning, but it was not being consumed. In actuality, Moses was having a vision. And this is in the third chapter of Exodus for, you can read it, start at the third. But um, Yahweh appeared in this cloud to, or in this bush to Moses and told Moses he wanted to go back, <clears throat> him to go back down into Egypt and to bring those children of Israel up out of bondage. Uh, and there were all excuses. Moses didn't want to go. Finally, he says, look it, if I go down to the children of Israel and say, God sent me or Elohim sent me, they're going to say to me, what is his name? What am I going to tell him? And he's given that name of Yahweh. And that name of Yahweh uh, uh, described by Ayah, Asher Ayah, meaning uh, I will be what I will to be, encompasses all. He is. He wills to be whatever he wills to be. I. It's not as it's written in the King James, I am that I am, but I will be what I will to be. So with that name, Moses goes into Egypt and brings the children of Israel up out of bondage and comes here to the midpoint of this chart, the wilderness of Sinai, and specifically to Mount Sinai. 
And leading them up out of Egypt was a cloud. And Yahweh said that he would uh, uh, depict himself as a cloud, or it was a manifestation of him. Uh, Yahweh's not a cloud. He is spirit. Uh, John 4.24 says that Yahweh is spirit. And if you want to worship him, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what that cloud symbolizes. Now, when that cloud brought them up out of Egypt, led them up, up out of Egypt and came to Mount Sinai, it uh, came and settled on top of Mount Sinai. And it was a cloud by day and a burning inferno by night, see? And Moses was commanded to go up uh, uh, into that mountain and uh, get me Exodus 24, 9 and 10. Um, we're going to want to get 1 John, is it 5? Um, but get Exodus first. Exodus 24, 9. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the Elohim of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone. And as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness. Okay, can you switch to the names chart? Um, Okay, over here on the left side is a kind of a easier picture because you've got that cloud, which John identifies as spirit. And spirit is abstract to our natural senses. And you've got it written there, pure spirit, abstract. Now, Yahweh is the father, see? Uh, Acts, the 17th chapter, talks about that we are all his offspring, meaning he is the father of us all, of everybody, see? But when Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abiah went up on top of Mount Sinai, they saw the Elohim or the word of Yahweh. Uh, go back to the Moses chart and pick that up for me again, Linda. Uh, starting at nine? Yeah. Then one up, up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the Elohim of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone. And as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness. Now, they went up on top of this mountain. Now, remember, spirit is invisible. You can't see it in its pure spirit state. Yet these 73 people are up here describing a shape and form. And they're describing it, hands, feet, and a body. But it's a body of heaven. 
This is not a flesh and blood body. It is a body of heaven in its clearness. Now go to John 1 and 1, and I got four minutes. John 1 and 1? Yes. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with Yahweh, and the word was Yahweh. Now, this word, if you look on top of this mountain, that shape and form, that word uh, is the one that created heaven and earth. He told, let there be light, and there was light, and that was the word of Yahweh. If Yahweh speaks, it is Yahweh's word. So uh, they, in the beginning was this word, read. And the word was with Yahweh and the word was Yahweh. Now the word was with Yahweh and the word was Yahweh. Well, the, what are you going to do with that? The word and Yahweh are the same. The word was Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And all things were made by him and without him, not anything made that was made. Now drop down to the 14th verse. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now this word, Yahweh Elohim, or that word was made flesh. That word put on a physical body. It was that word. It was not the son of Mary and Joseph. The birth of that child had nothing to do with Mary's womb or with Joseph's sperm. She was impregnated by the Holy Spirit or that word. That word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So Yahweh, whether he's pure spirit, intermediate, or comes into a concrete physical body, is Yahweh. There's three different gods. There's Yahweh, the source and substance. Yeah, when he speaks, he's the word. And when he comes to perform, he is Yahshua. He is thought. He is word. He is deed. That is not three different people. That's just one thought going through a, a, a logical progression, if I can put it that way. Thought, word, and deed. See, uh, here at the base of Mount Sinai in, uh, 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 oh boy, in Deuteronomy, we don't have time, the I believe it's the sixth chapter. Uh, Moses is retelling that law. And he says uh, that all of Israel, when the Ten Commandments were spoken in, uh, were at the base of Mount Sinai. And when they heard that voice, they looked up on top of that mountain and saw no shape and form. All they did was hear a voice. And yet they're looking up at the top of that mountain and they're not seeing a shape and form. Yet Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, 
they saw that shape and form. And then later, Moses goes up on top of Mount Sinai and has this intimate conversation with the creator and sees how the whole thing came into existence. Now, there's not three gods on that mountain. It just depends on where you are standing. Are you at the bottom of the mountain, the midpoint of the mountain, or the top of the mountain? You turn on the radio and you hear a voice, but you see no shape. You turn on the TV and now you can see the television. That is the vision of what you were hearing before. Then you can walk down the street and meet the celebrity on the street. It's not three different people. It is one, but it depends on your vantage point. Mm. And the whole world has made this so complicated. They are driving people away from God. We are here to say that Yahweh can be understood wants to be understood, and you have the capacity to understand him. If you stop, you listen, you think, and you want to know, you can know. So with that, thank you very much for the time. Thank you, Dr. Emler. We'd like to thank everybody who joined us today in our Zoom class. And we'd also like to thank those who have viewed us on YouTube. We hold our Zoom class every Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. At this time, I'd like to ask the class to stay muted until the live stream has ended. We'll now be dismissed by the doxology, which is taken from the last two verses of the book of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever. Let us all say, Alleluia. Alleluia. Alleluia.